0: Good morning. I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. For those of you that are visiting with us, welcome. Thanks for joining us this Advent Sunday. You find us in the middle of a series in Advent now. Advent, which means coming. It is a time, a season of year when we think about the coming of Christ. We look back and remember Jesus who has come. And we actually are still a people who wait for a coming Because this Jesus who has come has promised that he is coming again. And so we are people still who are waiting. And this uh, Advent season we're doing a series from the end of Revelation. Talking about what it looks like that we are waiting for his return, for his final come. And what he brings in his wake when he comes. So we're going to be looking this morning at Revelation chapter 21. Reading verses 1 through 5. Let's pray together and then we'll read. Father God, we do come to you this morning and pray and ask that you would um, open up this word to us. It is your scripture, it is your word breathed out, and it is life to us. Would you open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes that we might see. Um, Father, we are a people who are waiting, uh, some of us waiting acutely, some of us maybe not quite sure what we're waiting for, but feeling a sense of the incompleteness, and so we look to you. Uh, The only one who can fill us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. You'll find this on page 1041. We're using Pew Bible. Second to last chapter of the Bible, verses 1 through 5. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So we can come to it this morning in confidence, knowing that it is his word and that he means to speak to us through it we said, um, Advent, is a, it's a season when we look to the coming of Christ. He came, He is coming again. It's a season of waiting. It's a season, a season of longing. And as we've been looking at Revelation, we've been talking about waiting for various aspects of this. A couple weeks ago, waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Waiting for that great wedding feast at the end uh, of Scripture and at the end of time. We talked last week about waiting for God's justice to come. And this morning, in this passage, we look at to take some of the words... Uh, right from the passage, we look to this, this waiting for all things to be made new. For everything to be put back together. For the things that are broken uh, to be healed. Another way of saying that is in the midst of this world we live in, we're, we're waiting for a very right comfort. We're waiting for consolation. Not the consolation we talk about when somebody wins the consolation prize, the gee wish you'd won the, the real prize kind of consolation. But the consolation in the the hymn that we'll be singing at the end of the service, that uh, Israel's hope and consolation, it is is God himself coming to console, to comfort, to be with his people. We are waiting for these things, and that's what we look at in this passage this morning. Here's how we're going to see that. We're going to see three things. First, we're going to see what we want, what we so deeply want. Secondly, what we need, and in fact, who we need. And number three, we're going to take a look at in this passage from what passes away when this all things new comes to be. So first, what we want. I was remembering um, the longest night of my life. I probably had uh, literally longer nights, but this is the mythic longest night of my life. Uh, I remember as a child um, on Christmas Eve, uh, we'd come home from spending time with, with family, we um, the kids went up to their, their beds, so I remember being in bed, and at some point at night, uh, I, I took off my, my Snoopy sheets, and I, I built a little tent in the middle of my room, and I, I lay down in it, put my pillow right there, and right in front of my pillow, I put my alarm clock, and it, I, can, I can see it now. Sweep hands, it, it lit up, and I just stared at it from six inches away, and just watched that little hand going around and around uh, all night long. At least it seemed that way. And I was, I was longing for something that was to come. I, I, would, I would love to tell you um, that I was longing to get up that next morning and sing Christmas hymns. And that I, I, w- I was longing the next morning to come up and enjoy the fellowship of my family or to give gifts to those around me. None of which was true. I was longing uh, because I wanted Santa to come and I was longing to wait and see what he had brought for me. I was longing to see what gifts and what had come to fill my stockings? And though I didn't know I was asking this question, I was longing to see what would I find that maybe would even fill my soul as I was hungry for something. And at the time, I, I, did not, I didn't realize at my age that my deepest longings here were of a metaphysical nature, uh, that it was something more than just the gifts. But you know what? But I did know that I was going to go down and find these gifts, and I, was, I wanted something from them, something to make life complete, something to put it together. Uh, we long. We are people who long. So I was reminded again of this uh, this week. I'm having an admission, a confession to make a few weeks ago. Camper confessed that he listens to country music. Um, he does that often. I'm I've, I've, much more modest than that. Twice now in my life, and I, I promise it was only for 10 minutes. Um, this Friday, I, I saw part of Oprah. I watched 10 minutes of Oprah. Okay, that was sort of a new experience for me. Some of you will be much more well acquainted. And so this Friday show, the few minutes that I saw, it was apparently, and this was the whole show, it was Oprah giving gifts to people. It was her Christmas show. And so the whole show is geared around her just sort of unveiling thing after thing that she's giving to the people in the audience. I see a few nods. You've seen it yourself. None of the men were nodding, strangely. Um, take my word for it. So uh, she's, you know, she starts to give these gifts, and, and you see on people's faces, this look of just rapturous joy. I mean, just like they were about to burst out of their skin, and it just got increased with each new gift that was given. I mean, one of the gifts, she, uh, she gave them everybody in her audience uh, a five-year subscription to Netflix, and you would think that somebody told them they were going to be movie stars themselves. I mean, people's eyes just bulging, and they were going to have a, you know, they were being given a 50-inch uh, 3D television to, to watch that on and she uh, later opened the top of a, of a big box and, and, and this enormous inflatable uh, cruise ship just filled up with air and she was sending everybody on a cruise. Now, why am I telling you all this? <clears throat> it's a good question. Uh, I, I don't say this, honestly I don't say this uh, to, to uh, do some culture bashing on the Oprah show because I was struck by this. When she opened... Netflix and the TV, Uh, I hear all these people in in rapturous joy because somehow this was going to fill something in their souls. And I looked at that and I was like, five years of Netflix. But how about this? Have you ever, do you ever find yourself um, turning on the TV just hoping that something will distract you or that something will maybe numb what's going on in your life, that you can just zone out for a while or it will just make you happy? Have you ever done that? I have too. It's not much different. How about this, when the cruise ship pops out, have you ever gone on a vacation and thought, man, I just, I hope this will fill the void for me. I hope it'll soothe things over. I hope this will be what gets me through to the next day. Have you ever felt that on a vacation? We might be a little uh, more fi- refined and, and not quite as overly exuberant as we are. or They were being filmed on TV, but we're people who are looking for comfort, too. We're people who are longing for something, who are waiting for something. Sometimes we can't even put our finger on what that something might be, but we know there's an ache, and we're trying to fill it with something. We long to be filled. We long to be consoled, and we need something to fill it. Uh, I read and reviewed this uh, week of uh, a, you know, recent highbrow movie, Tron, that has now come out, and um, I haven't seen the movie, but as I was reading this review, here's what the reviewer said as he was talking about sort of the outrageous spectacle that he said this movie is, but here's what he says about us. He says that we're in a culture consumed with the boredom of endless distraction and wall-to-wall entertainment, the boredom of a culture where boredom is forbidden. That's a culture we live in where the once prescribed pleasure principle has become iron law. Do you hear what he's saying? That we are, we, are, we are so amped up and have to be so amped up all the time to even slow down and be bored for just a moment is it's like we've broken the law of our souls. We are not to be that way. And that's why when you are driving across town in your car, you, you can't bring yourself to actually turn the radio off. And that's why um, you, you can't even fathom what it might be like sometime during your waking hours to, to turn your cell phone off. Not just on vibrate, to turn it off. <laughs> to be quiet, to be still, because there's something back there chattering to us that it must be filled, and we're looking for anything to fill it with. Um, there is this longing of our soul, but, but, but let me say this, too. That though, though that comes out in the things maybe we gravitate towards, writ large in Oprah and writ small in our own lives, that, that longing is something that we should honestly pay attention to. We should listen to it. Because it has something to tell us. There are positive aspects to it as well. And it's not just actually the emptiness of our hearts that speak to this longing. There's also something, if you ever notice this, about the fullness and the goodness of life. The beauty even of life that taps into that same longing as well. Have you ever noticed sometimes it's the best and finest of things that get you here. That they elevate us, but at the same time they leave us aching still for something that seems just a little bit beyond our grasp. Maybe it's something like a fine meal, a beautiful concert, profound piece of art, or even um, a right delight in some of the more mundane things of life, Uh, driving a car that handles so smoothly. The feel of the ball in our hands as we jump, as we shoot over the other player and hear the swish of the net. That sense of rightness that we feel when we finish the project at home and the cut is straight or the screen door swings as it should and the sink doesn't doesn't leak anymore. You know what it's like to feel those moments of beauty and rightness. But at the same time, the sink's going to start leaking leaking again. Something else is going to have to be fixed. Eventually that shot's going to be blocked. Even that fine meal can't ultimately fill us up. But in those moments of beauty and rightness, there is still this longing. It's as if even the beauty of the moment or the rightness of the thing speaks beyond itself and says there's something even more out there that you just can't quite Put your finger on. Maybe for you it was the mountain view where you saw nature in all its splendor, and it gave you this longing of a heart, and you didn't quite know how it was to be satisfied. C.S. Lewis writes on this. He calls this joy, and he says that those moments of joy, that that actual longing, is a picture that we really are made for something more, and that those hints of it, those glimpses of it, are not the thing itself but signposts, pointers, to something deeper for us. Here's the way he said it. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a love that we have not found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country that we have never visited. But it taps into that sense of a longing for something and something more. It is what we want, in fact, what we were made for. In this season of Advent, in looking and longing, we're to pay attention to that. We... That is the setup here that we have this sense of that which we're going to see in our passages is a world made new. As it says that God has come and made that world new. And what we want finds an answer, not so much with a what, but with a who, or more properly with a whom. Who is the one that we need? Our deepest longings we read here and throughout Scripture, our scripture are filled not with a what, but with a who. They are filled by God himself. And you see how that happens here. Look at verse 3. Read it again with me. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. See, the answer that John points us to here is that the longing of our soul is found here, that God comes to make his home with us. That all those things we are scrambling for and longing for, the dull and dead moments before the TV, the grasping for something in a vacation the echoes of beauty we see in the things that are fine and right and good are pointing us towards this, the one who made them all. Our creator who made us for himself and who says here that he is going to come and be with us, dwell with us. That word that we see here that says that uh, the dwelling of God will be with man, same word that's used in First John, uh, or excuse me, John 1.14. says, the word became flesh and dwelt among them and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt with us. Same word as dwelling place here. And literally, it's a word that means tabernacle. It was the tent. It would have reminded the readers of the tent in the Old Testament where God's presence was made known out in the desert. And it is a picture of God dwelling, coming, pitching his tent with his people. Uh, the way uh, this John 1 14, the way... Eugene Peterson translates as that uh, Jesus came and pitched his tent, or excuse me, he came to dwell among us. He came and moved into the neighborhood. That's what that means, that he's come to dwell with us, to be with us. See what that means? If, the, if God comes to dwell with us, he is coming not to get something from us. He's coming to give us something means he didn't simply make us and remain remote in heaven from us that we might serve him, that we might meet his whim, that we might simply be his servants, but instead he says that he comes to give us something. He comes to give us himself. So much so that he comes to where we live. And we see here in Revelation this final picture of him coming, that heaven actually descends to earth so that we might live face-to-face with God here because he's come that he might give to us. See, that's the deeper reality here, that God is the giver that behind the joys of our life that call us into this world, this world where God is with us. So this question of what we long for is really a question of who we long for. Let me ask you this. It's one thing to say that and to see it here, but how do we put our hands around that a little bit more? It's one thing to say that we were made to be in the presence of God and that what we are promised here is that He will come. And He has come once. Emmanuel, Jesus, God in the flesh, God who has come to dwell with us, and he comes finally here at the end of time. It's one thing to say that. How do we wrap our arms around that? How does that look maybe in tangible ways for us? Well, I think the passage gives us just a little bit of a hint here. Thirdly, when it shows us what passes away when God comes. When he comes, when he comes to dwell with us, what is it that is chased out and chased away? What is it that dissolves as a vapor? What is it that cannot stand, cannot remain in the face of the reality of who God is and what his presence means for us? Look what John gives us here. He gives us a series of images, pictures of what must disappear and will disappear from our lives. He says this in verse 1. He says that there are new heavens and new earth that the old have passed away. Verse 5 he says, look I've come and I'm making all things new. He is taking all that is here and making it new. Now there, there's more than one way to make things new. For instance, maybe an artist might paint something and it's, it's not up to their specs. It doesn't, they don't think it really shines like it should. So what do you do? You take the You take the page and you crumple it up and you throw it away and you start over. You make something new. But that's not what's going on here. It's not that kind of make things new. It's not that kind of scrap what was old and start over from scratch. Make things new means make things renewed. He's coming not to do away with the old world and build something entirely new. He's coming to redeem this world. He's coming to restore it. He's coming to make this world and our lives exactly what they were meant to be. They're going to be healed. They're going to be put back together. And that's why the things that we do and the ways we spend our life matter because God comes and uses those as a part of his ultimate remaking of the world. We are not, as some people put it simply, you know polishing the brass on the Titanic that eventually is going to go down and will be transported somewhere else. He is coming to renew this place and come to live with us here. He is making all things new. He's making our lives, ultimately, into what they were always meant to be. Straightening out the breaks and the bends. Polishing it. Cleaning it in a way that we cannot clean it ourselves. So that this world will be what he made it to be. Second thing we see here is, um, on the surface... Uh, sad and frightening for many of us. It says that there will be no more sea. What does that mean? You know, maybe you read this and you think, no more beach vacation, <laughs> no, no more sitting out and looking over the beauty of the ocean God's going to do all away with it. He, he's not talking about that kind of beauty that we picture. When he talks about no more sea, he is tapping into this um, ancient and, and mythic picture that, his people would have, that these people would have heard because the sea for them didn't represent simply this body of water, but it represented all the forces of chaos in the world. Do you remember what some of the first things are that God does in Genesis 1 when he creates the world? What does he do? He separates the waters and brings forth land where people might live. He's pulling back the chaos and bringing order to the world. For the readers of Revelation, the sea, earlier in Revelation, the sea is where one of God's great enemies, the beast, emerges out of the sea. It's the place of chaos that of everything that is against God. So when when he talks about no more sea, he is saying that no more enemies of God, no more breakdown like that. This no more forces of chaos in the world. In other words, no more world spinning out of control. No more tsunamis the destroy. No more natural disaster. No more rebellion and hatred. No more violence and greed. No more world turned away from God. All of those things have been removed and healed. He says there will be no more sea. For us it also means no more of the chaos of your life as well. Those things that are Rumbling inside of you that threaten to undo you from within and without. The chaos breaking out around you. He says, no more see. Just as Jesus in the midst of a storm spoke and said, quiet, be still. The wind stopped, the waves died down. No more chaos. He goes on verse 4 and he says, no more tears. He goes on and says, no more mourning, no more crying. And he gives us this beautiful picture of God who has come to dwell with us, not simply saying, there, there, don't cry anymore, but reaching out and wiping away the tears himself. And that means real literal tears for those of us who cry real literal tears. And for those of us uh, too stoic, Maybe to cry those, those tears on the inside, too, because we all have tears. He says he comes to wipe those away. He goes on, no more mourning, no more crying. He goes on and says that this pervasive and real sorrow of life is going to be healed. It's going to be comforted. It's going to be consoled. And we know we live lives that are marked by real glimpses of joy and happiness, but we also know that they are marked deeply by the etchings of sorrow. We live lives where we experience lost friendships and lost opportunities, lost jobs, lost innocence, lost wonder, lost beauty, lost strength, lost health, lost memory, lost parents, lost child, lost friends, lost spouse. And for some in our congregation, experiencing the lostness of that For the first time this Christmas season, when those are brought right in front of us. And to us, Jesus says, there will be no more tears. They will be wiped away. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be healing and restoration. This is what Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 65. He said, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad in my people, and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Why? Because he says here too, No more pain, no more cause for our weeping, for our tears. No more physical pain, no more emotional pain, no more spiritual pain even. That when God comes, that he will take those away, that those will fall away. That's what his presence among us will mean. Then finally here, John lists for us that there will be no more death. The shadow that looms over all our pain and looms over all our struggles there'll be no more needing to somehow reconcile ourselves to it. The Bible talks about death being an intruder, an enemy, and something that will one day be conquered and vanquished and will be no more. Now we also see in Scripture that for those who trust in Christ, the sting has been taken away from death. And that is certainly true. But one day our hope is that death itself is removed because we were not made to die. And even in what we consider the best of circumstances with someone who has lived a long and fruitful life, when we console ourselves with that, there is some rightness to that. But again, the truth is not even they were meant to die. That we all die prematurely because it was not the intended end for any, for any of us. Scripture says that death is the great enemy. In Hebrews 2 it says this, About Jesus, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of these same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You hear what he's saying. Jesus came to wipe away even that. Revelation 21 is a picture of, of something that we pray for. In fact, it's something that Jesus taught us to pray for. Here's the way N.T. Wright puts it. Revelation 21 is the final answer to the Lord's Prayer. That God's kingdom will come, and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, even this season of Christmas... Um, maybe brings more to the surface for many of us that, that we are longing for something, <laughs> that our expectations are whipped up to this feverish high, whether that's literally for a gift under the tree or whether that is for some feeling you feel that you must attain during Christmas, some sort of mental state, some sort of uh, joy that you have to pump up in your life, something that must you must tap into in order to fill your soul. We're reminded here that our souls do need filling. And that longing does point us somewhere. But we see here that it points us to God, the one who came to fill our souls, and the one who came and will come literally to live with us. And when he does, we will find the fullness of these things here. No more tears, no more pain, no more crying. Jesus has come, and so we get beautiful tastes of that even now, of lives that are being restored, that are being healed, In the midst of our brokenness, we really do find real comfort because we come to a God who really is comforting to us even now. But don't you see the hope for us is that though we do not have that in the fullness now, one day we will. John says, hang on and you can wait with hope because you have a down payment on this. But God is coming and he will dwell with us. And one day we are going to see the book of death closed forever. And one day we will have our very last tear of pain wiped away. Not by ourselves, but by our very own God. And so we wait. I mentioned that uh, very long night of mine, staring at the clock waiting for the advent of Santa Claus. But I think, too, what would it be like as we uh, even now experience what often feels like a very long night? As we watch the minutes and hours and years ticking away. But this passage reminds us that, that one day the alarm's going to go off. And one day we're going to come downstairs. And one day we're not going to simply see stockings filled with good things and presents under the tree. We're going to come down and we are going to see Jesus himself, who has come back. And we will say, the day has come, and the dwelling of God has come to be with man. And God will say, behold, I am making all things new. In the words of John at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do pray, and we do cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that in your goodness, um, you have infused our lives even now with so much joy and goodness in the midst of the sorrow. Lord, there is much that is good, but even those things are pointers of, to us of a deeper reality of our need for you. And may we wait for you in patience. May we enjoy the good gifts you give us, looking always beyond them to you, the good giver. Would you remind us again and again and again that you are the one and the only one who can fill our souls. And so would you give us the freedom of finding our fullness in you. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The one who has come and the one who is coming again. Amen.